So my dad passed away in 2015. We weren't talking and it took a month for his family to track me down. Before I ever knew he was gone, I started hearing from him in heaven. It consumed me. How is communication with the other side even possible? I left my corporate gig, studied with spiritual teachers on every coast, and worked with my angels to figure out the answers. Today, my mission is teaching you how to raise your vibration, shift your thoughts, trust your intuition, develop your unique spiritual gifts, and connect with your loved ones and angels on the other side. Friends, when you have these tools, life really does become heaven on earth. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host, Julie Jancis. Today we are back, our final week. I'm so sad. Um, We have our final week with Sensei Alex Kakuyo. He is the author of Perfectly Ordinary Buddhist Teachings for Everyday Life. His website is thesameoldzen.com. That's thesameoldzen.com. He's done a four-part series with us that has run uh, since the second week in January. I believe that's January 11th. And we have gone through talking about developing a holistic understanding of suffering, identifying the true sources of suffering in our lives, where suffering comes from, how we can use the knowledge of its source to make our lives better for ourselves and others. Last week, we talked about transforming our pain into healing and love. And this week, we are talking about techniques for staying grounded in love and forgiveness. I am so excited that you are back here, Sensei. And I forgot to say one more thing. Friends, Sensei Kakuyo, he does not have to be here. He has given us four hours of his time so generously. If you wouldn't mind, if you have the means, and if you feel called from your heart, if you got a lot of value out of this series, please go over to his website. The link is in the show notes below and make a contribution to him or buy his uh, book on Amazon, Perfectly Ordinary or both. Sensei, thank you. I'm like mixed feelings here. I'm, I'm just so happy that we got to have you for four episodes on the show, but my heart hurts. I feel so heavy because I just love having you here and I don't want it to end. I don't either. It's been so wonderful. I, I feel like I learned just as much as I teach during our conversation. So this is wonderful. Oh, thank you. So today we are talking about techniques for staying grounded in love and forgiveness. And I'm so excited because, you know, in addition to, I mean, this entire series has walked us through a formula of looking at our lives from a different perspective that can really bring so much more love, healing, hope into our lives, peace. And we need all of this. So I'm going to let you take it away because uh, you have a teaching for today. Yes. Yes, I do. So today I will be reading from my book, uh, Perfectly Ordinary Buddhist Teachings for Everyday Life. And the title of the essay is Gardening and the Bodhisattva Vows. 
And I chose this essay because I think it's a really good summation of everything we've talked about over the last four weeks. So I'll read it and then we can discuss. One of my earliest experiences with growing food came when I practiced at a Zen center that had a garden. In Zen, manual labor is considered an important part of spiritual development. So I spent every Saturday cutting grass, pulling weeds, and shoveling horse manure into vegetables or vegetable beds. Shovel crap and become a Buddha was the running joke between me and the other students. It was difficult at times, but there was a brutal honesty in the work that I found appealing. If I cared for the plants properly, they would grow and provide food for people. If I didn't, they would die and I'd have to start over from scratch. There was no complexity or intrigue involved in the process. What I put into the vegetable beds was exactly what I took out. It was karma in its purest form. These days, I have a garden in my backyard, and I'm happy to report that the plants are still teaching me the Dharma. Lately, they've been teaching me about the Bodhisattva vows, which go as follows. Living beings are numberless. I'll work to benefit them. Delusions are endless. I'll see through them. The teachings are infinite. I'll learn them. The Buddha way is difficult. I'll walk the path. The first thing any sane person notices about these vows is that they're impossible. How are you supposed to save all sentient beings if there is an infinite number of them? Thankfully, my plants have shown me the way. The most important and time-consuming part of gardening is pulling weeds. If you don't do it regularly, the weeds will crowd out anything you are trying to plant, so consistency is key. However, there have been many times where I spent hours crawling through the dirt, pulling out invasive plants only to get up and wonder if I accomplished anything. But I keep doing it because the small amount of time between when I pull the weeds and when they return gives my garden time to grow. Eventually, the vegetables become strong enough that they start crowding out the weeds. Similarly, when we walk the Bodhisattva path, we do so knowing that it's impossible. But we keep trying because each time we pull the weeds of greed, anger, and delusion from the world, it provides space for vegetables like empathy and compassion to grow. Eventually, compassion grows large enough that it crowds out the darker parts of human nature, but only if we're willing to keep pulling weeds. There's a brutal honesty in this work that I find appealing. The world is our garden, and what we put into it is exactly what we get out. Every act of kindness, no matter how small, provides space for good things to happen. And each time we help another person, we create an opportunity for their compassion to grow. It's hard work, and the struggle is never-ending but a good harvest is guaranteed if we never give up. Lesson, right action creates space for vegetables to grow. I love that. The world is our garden. What we put into it, we get out of it. Absolutely. 
beautiful souls, I am so, so, so excited to announce that starting February 1st for $100 a month annually, you get access to a new e-course each month. Yes, you heard that right. Friends, last year you asked me the best questions like, how do I awaken? How do I connect with my angels more? You asked me, Julie, which of your courses should I take first? We've simplified everything for you. Starting February 1st, when you become an angel member, your angels and I are going to guide you through a journey of spiritual healing one month at a time. In February, we're starting with holding a high vibration and the energy of oneness. In March, we're teaching you how to build a relationship with your spirit team. In April, we're diving into teaching you how to trust your intuition. In May, the angels are going to show you how to access your soul's purpose. The rest of the year, we're diving into how to rewire your brain, self-energy healing and chakra clearing, inner child work and ancestral trauma, learning to speak your truth, sacred angel work, and so, so much more. All of this information builds upon one another, and it's best to start February 1st if you can. But if you're listening to the podcast and that date has passed, no worries. You can still become a member and we'll guide you on which lessons to view first to get up to speed. Some people have asked, will I have access to all of your other courses when I become a member? Over the course of the year, we will cover and expand upon all that was in the High Vibration and Angel Communication e-courses in the Angel Membership. However, the Angel Reiki School is separate and different as it helps you develop your unique spiritual gifts to serve others. While Angel Membership walks you through your spiritual growth and angel connection month after month. Each month, you'll get four new teachings, two Reiki healing recordings, and two live group question and answer Zoom calls. You'll also get a workbook, a community chat in Thinkific, and so much more. Go to the website The Angel Medium to become an angel member today. Purchase the Angel Reiki School, or if you just like to take the previous Angel Communication e-course, you can sign up for all of those on the website. But again, that information will be covered and expanded upon in the Angel Membership. Links are in the show notes. Friends, this is going to be the biggest year of expansion, growth, and healing for you. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of it. Absolutely. That has been a lesson that has been with me my entire life. I saw that when I was in high school. I saw that when I was in college. Um, you know, I went to a high school that people would be like, oh, well, that's the that's the rougher one within the community. That's not the one we want our kids to go to, right? And same with the college that I went to. And I really held on to this notion that it didn't matter where I was at. It mattered how I was getting involved, what my actions were, because that that's so true. Whatever we put in, we get out. And if our view was, well, this isn't the best school, that's what you were getting out of it. 
But if you say there are great teachers here, there are great people surrounding me, I can get involved in this way and this way, you learn, you grow. And I got so much out of both of those schools. I have a lot of questions for you today. I forget, I was trying to find the page in the book, but it really just this one statement kind of stood out to me where you were talking about a situation that you had gone through and you said, take refuge in the Dharma. And that Dharma is this wheel, this sevenfold wheel. And talk to us a little bit about that and help people understand what you mean by that. Take refuge in the Dharma because it's secular, right? And we keep around. So I want to help them understand that a little bit more. Right. So in Buddhism, we have the Four Noble Truths, which are sort of the philosophy of Buddhist teachings. And then we have the Noble Eightfold Path, which is uh, often represented by a wheel with eight spokes on it. And these are um, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, uh, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And in the book, I break out each one and describe not only what it is, but also how it can help us in daily life uh, using experiences from my own life. But when I say take refuge in the Dharma, uh, there are a couple things I mean by that. One of them being found uh, in the essay I just read about gardening and the Bodhisattva vows. Delusions are endless. I'll see through them. That's an impossible vow. If they're endless, we cannot see through all of them. Sentient beings are numberless. I'll save them. Is an impossible vow. If they're numberless, we can't save all of them. And yet, as Buddhists, we're taking this vow that that is what we're going to do. And what we're doing is we are accepting that this is an impossible task. But the value isn't in the completion of the task. The value is in the attempt. So when I'm working in my garden, I will never reach a point where there are no weeds. No matter how many I pull out, I will never get to a point where none ever grow again. That's not a possibility. But my attempt, my willingness to pull the weeds from the garden is what allows the vegetables to grow. And the same is true of our daily life, is that we are given a series of impossible tasks, things that we'll we'll never be finished doing, right? We'll never be finished paying the light bill. We'll never be finished raising our kids. Uh, We'll never be finished cooking food and feeding ourselves. And if we approach it as a situation where this is an impossible task, but the act of completing this task, even though I have to do it again, that's where the value is. Suddenly it becomes enriching and it becomes life affirming. Now it's not, I have to cook dinner. It's I get to cook dinner, right? Now it's not, I have to go to work today. It's I get to go to work today because I know going to work today, this one time, won't pay the bills for all of eternity, but it'll pay it for this month. And when we talk about refuge in the Dharma, 
what it really is, is a very process-oriented approach to life. The Dharma is a wheel. It's constantly spinning, constantly turns, uh, turning, and never stops. That means our practice never stops. So we don't practice the Noble Eightfold Path one time and then we're done. Right? There's no final enlightenment. The Buddha realized enlightenment under the Bodhi tree, and then he kept practicing every day until he died. So it is with us. We are enlightened beings who have to practice being enlightened every day until we die. And that can be soul crushing, or it can be enriching and life affirming if we're enjoying the process. So when I say I take refuge in the Dharma, what I'm doing is I'm giving up on trying to solve the problem. I'm not going to fix this, and that's okay. What I am going to do is take refuge in the Four Noble Truths, in the Noble Eightfold Path, in the process of living my life, and focus on living as opposed to the finishing of the work. So... I believe that as kids, you know, a lot of times we just know where we want to go in our lives, right? And I could so tell from reading your book that you were a spiritual kid ever since you were itty bitty. And I don't think you're bad, you know, like if somebody's listening and they're like, I wasn't a spiritual kid when you were little, I think it was part of just who you are always. Right. And I have felt the same way about my childhood. And this last year has been really hard because I think this pressure comes from myself or maybe like societal standards, right. Of like, you have to be perfect. And Mm -hmm. the two things that I've been working through are, (laughs) I'm not perfect and I'm never Mm -hmm. going to be perfect. I feel a lot of guilt with that though, right? Because because I feel like in 2020, I really wanted to, it was just such a colossal mess, right? In every direction. And all I could do was be honest with the podcast community about where I was at at any moment, knowing that I felt called to continue the podcast and I feel called to continue the podcast, you know, for as long as we can, just years. But there's this guilt that comes, I guess, inside of me or just this heaviness sometimes within my heart because you want to do the best, right? You want to be like, well, I'm a good person. (laughs) I want to be perfect. I want to be like as perfect as I can be so that people get what they need out of this show. You as a teacher, like with your teacher hat on, ever feel like, how do you work through that? Because I hear what you're saying, but I guess I'm still trying to process what you're saying of, it's an impossible task. Like I am never going to be perfect. I am never going to be finished learning about myself and really unfolding into myself. (laughs) I'm a constant work in progress. How do you work through that? Uh, Well, I'll just, uh, I'll give you an example. So I wrote a essay recently called Buddhism and Seasonal Affective Disorder. And I was speaking with my own experiences with seasonal affective disorder and how Buddhism has helped me work through that. And so I have this and it's 
it's fairly severe for people who don't know. Seasonal affective disorder essentially means it's different for everyone, but for me, it's during the fall and the winter uh, when it's gray and it's cold. I just lose a lot of my motivation for life. You know, I, I want to stay in the bed. I don't want to move. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to eat. I don't want to bathe. And th this has caused problems in, in the past. So I had this idea when I started practicing Buddhism that it would fix it. That I would begin practicing meditation, that I would start bowing, that I would start chanting. And then one day, winter would come and I would be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and I'd be completely unaffected by my SAD. And part of my own learning and my own growing and my own practicing was accepting the fact that that wasn't the case. It never will be the case. You know, I have seasonal affective disorder. It's not going to go away. And every year, I'm going to have to deal with this, this change, this moodiness, this depressiveness that I experience. And realizing that what happened is it became less, how do I get rid of it? And more, well, how can I work with it skillfully? In the same way that as a Buddhist minister, I work skillfully with every piece of suffering in my life. I accept that it's here. What am I going to do about it? But in order to get to the, what am I going to do about it? First, we have to accept that it's here, right? So we as human beings, we all have struggles. We all have imperfections. We all have things that aren't great, that we wish were different. But what are we going to do about it now that it's here? And part of it is the acceptance piece of just understanding that my job isn't to fix this thing, it's to work with it skillfully. And in order to understand this, we can really just look at nature. And look at trees, for example. You know, I've never enjoyed the shade of a tree less because its trunk wasn't perfectly straight. I never thought a rose was less beautiful because the petals weren't perfectly symmetrical. You know, the imperfections that we have are parts of the perfection of our lives. Now, we in the West don't see it that way. We think that if we're imperfect, something's wrong with us. But in Buddhism, we have more of a holistic view, which says that the imperfections are part of a perfect whole. So the tree has a crooked trunk, but the crooked trunk is what allows it to give us shade so well. The rose petals are asymmetrical, but the asymmetry is what catches our eye what makes us notice its beauty, right? I have seasonal affective disorder, but my SAD is what drives me deeper into the practice because now I'm not just doing it because it's a good idea. I'm doing it because it gives me the purpose I'm looking for because it helps me deal with my symptoms. So when we're trying to understand the constant unfolding of our lives, it's us understanding that our job isn't to fix our imperfections. It's to simply work with them skillfully every day. And then as we do that, life becomes 
becomes better for us. And it also becomes better for other people. That's such a beautiful explanation. And it takes my mind to two places. When you say skillfully, we've talked last week about just does that skillfully meaning the dharma of right action, right speech, all of those? Does it mean accepting life is difficult, reimagining what life could be, or does it mean all of that as a whole? Well, it means all of it together. The thing we have to remember about the dharma is that, again, it is a wheel, and there's eight spokes on that wheel, but they're all connected at the center. So it's not so much a linear path, though we do learn them in order because it makes it easy to remember and understand right view, right intention, etc. But once we're on that wheel, we move to whatever spoke we need in that moment. So maybe I need to reimagine things through right view. Or maybe once I have a clear idea of what needs to be done, I need to practice right action to get it to happen. Or maybe I've made a mistake, so now I need to practice right speech in order to make an apology and make amends. Or maybe I'm having trouble seeing the Buddha within myself, so now I have to go to right mindfulness and right concentration in order to to see that light within me so I can manifest it into the world. So we learn the Noble Eightfold Path, and then we kind of move through the wheel through those spokes, depending on what's needed in the moment. And part of the skillfulness is being able to recognize and understand what's needed. I love that. I think so often in my life, people have used these different analogies of thinking about like the ups and downs. And I'm kind of making like this linear, uh, you know, squiggly line in front of me. And you kind of think like, okay, well, where am I? where am I at right now? Um, Am I up? Am I down? Like, where am I? But when you can think of the Dharma wheel as your life, and like you, to your point before of talking about Buddha's enlightenment, and that he kind of went through this awakening, but then he had itty bitty kind of awakenings, could you say, you know, throughout his entire life of he was always learning, he was always growing, you can look at it as it's okay, just acceptance of the wheel of life. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then that that goes again back to that first noble truth that life is suffering. It's not meant to scare us. It's simply getting us to understand and accept that this suffering is part of life. And there's no secret code. There's no magic trick that, you know, everything will be perfect and beautiful and wonderful. The moment, you know, we say the magic words, rather it's simply to accept that life is imperfect and life is hard, but there are things we can do to make it better and make it a little more perfect and make it a little less hard. And that's, again, where the skillfulness comes into play, is recognizing what's needed in the moment. So if somebody's like, I have loved these teachings and I want to go deeper into, you know, just Buddhism and understanding, you know, the wheel of Dharma more, where do you recommend they begin? Well, uh, that's a good question. So one thing I really like about my book is that it really starts with the core 
basic teachings of Buddhism. And I don't mean basic as in beginner. I mean basic as in if you understand these things, you really understand all Buddhism. This is where all the other teachings come from, the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path. So that's a good place to start. Um, at my blog, The Same Old Zen, I post uh, articles regularly about my own life. And what I do there is I really try to use my own personal experiences as the lesson in the same way that I do in the book, as this is what's happened to me and this is how the Dharma helped. Or this is a mistake I made and this is how I fixed it using, using Buddhist training. So I think that's very helpful. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel. Uh, if you just search my name, Alex Kakuyo, it'll come up. And I post Dharma talks there either weekly or bi-weekly, depending on my schedule. And, and that's usually beneficial as well. Uh, so I think those three places would be good starting points if they're wanting to do more of a deep dive into Buddhist training. Perfect. I love that. There's so much to, we had talked at the beginning, you know, staying grounded in this work. If you were to give people an exercise or just say, okay, so there's things that we have to expect are going to trigger us in 2021. We have to expect that, you know, I keep coming back to a couple of women that I work with who, whose husbands owe them a lot of money in child support, right? Like over $50,000 they're behind on their payments and they don't want to be in their kids' lives. I mean, they're just not around. And I think about people who go through just very, very hard things and rightfully so are triggered over and over. So we're, we understand that life is suffering. We understand that there are hard things that we go through and we take action on them. We're not saying not to take action. Um, we definitely take action on these things, but just us in processing our own feelings and our own emotions to stay grounded in that love and that forgiveness and in our own high vibrational vibe what can we use so that when we know, okay, it's 2021, I'm triggered. This is the practice that Sensei gave me. Sure. Well, there, there are a couple teachings in Buddhism that I think can be helpful. Uh, one uh, would be the Nembutsu chant, uh, Namo Amida Butsu, which says, I take refuge in Amida Buddha. Amida being the Buddha of infinite light, and light in this case represents wisdom. The idea that uh, this is a monk, Dharmakara, who then became Amida, the Buddha of infinite light through his practice. And his wisdom is so powerful that it eliminates darkness wherever it goes, right? So Amida is a lot of things, but one of them is a representation of our own internal Buddha, right? So when we're caught up in our emotions, which is a normal thing, anger, sadness, grief, betrayal, we forget that Buddha is there. 
So the chant Namo Amida Butsu is a way of, to remind us of that, to remind us of our own internal light. Again, when we say, I take refuge in the Dharma, that's an example of that. You know, this thing outside of me has failed me. So now I'm going to go inward. And this is something I've found to be very helpful in times where I'm feeling angry or sad or frustrated. Chanting Namu Amida Butsu, Namu Amida Butsu, Namu Amida Butsu. It breaks that cycle of thought. You know, who do they think they are? How could they do this to me? I can't believe I fell for this again. It breaks that cycle. And now suddenly, instead of being the person who's angry or this person who's sad, the person who's frustrated, now we're Buddha again, right? And this isn't something we just do once. You know, we'll have to do this 10,000 times. But each time we break the cycle of our thoughts, we lessen the trauma that's associated with it, right? Our frustration, maybe it starts at a 10, but through consistent practice, it becomes a seven and a four and then a two. And now what was full-on rage just becomes mild annoyance. So the Nimbutsu chant is very powerful. Another teaching that I offer in the book is something called Nikon, N-A-I-K-A-N. And what this is, is a gratitude practice. This is actually um, very helpful for me when I'm working with my seasonal affective disorder. And what it is, is because when we're having a, uh, a depressive episode, let's say, it's very easy to forget that there's, there's goodness and light in the world. Uh, what this does is it kind of forces us through the power of ritual to see those good things. So we talk about five things that were good that people did for us. And we just, you know, the cashier double bagged my groceries without being asked. Someone let me into the lane while I was driving. Uh, my family member called to check and see how I was, that sort of thing. Then we name five good things that we did for other people. I smiled at the cashier and said, thank you. I gave my cat belly rubs today. I cleaned up the trash in the dumpster or near the dumpster outside, even though it wasn't mine, right? And what we do, and then finally we think, okay, and here's one thing that I can do a little bit better tomorrow. So maybe we, Maybe we screwed up. Maybe we weren't kind when we talked to someone. Or maybe we sent an email that uh, I could have worded that differently. And that's okay, right? We're not trying to hide from the world. We, we want to see it. But we also want to make sure we're focusing on the positives as well. So when we do Nikon, we think of five good things people have done for us, five good things we have done for other people, and then one good thing that we think we want to work on a bit more the next day. And what this allows us to do is, again, break that cycle of negative thought, right? Because we had a negative negativity bias as humans, meaning if we give a presentation and three people say it's great and one person says it's horrible, for whatever reason, we focus on the one person who said it's horrible, right? So this kind of systematically pulls us to the opposite pole. So now we're going to focus on the good things. And then as we focus on them, we naturally start to feel better 
about the day, about our lives, etc. Okay, I want to go into one more thing. So I'm like, I'm still like, when we talk, I kind of sit here and I process and I continue trying to go in deeper into some questions. One of the things that I've really seen come to the forefront that people have questioned within themselves this year is like this phrase, I'm a good person, right? And so we've worked through this perfectionism. Our lives are going to constantly be this wheel that is shifting and changing. Um, you've walked us through all of that just so brilliantly. We can still see ourselves as good people and flawed at the same time, right? Holding two opposing truths at the same time. Talk to me a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, first off, I think we need to understand that they're not necessarily opposing truths. So again, in Buddhism and in Eastern philosophy, we have a different idea of perfection than we do in the West. So in the West, we have a list of things that are good and a list of things that are bad. And if we have all the good things and all the bad things, then we're perfect. In Buddhism, having a more holistic view of the world, perfection simply means wholeness or completeness, right? When I say the imperfection is part of the perfection of our lives, what I'm saying is it's part of the wholeness of who we are as people. So, and that's important if we want to get to that place of acceptance, is that we have to holistically look at ourselves and accept every part. And part of the reason we struggle with this idea that I'm Buddha, that I'm an enlightened being, that I'm a good person, is that we instantly jump to this cycle of negativity, which says, oh, but I get grumpy in the morning. Oh, but I don't always return emails quickly. Oh, I'm not good at text messaging people back when they message me, right? And what we have to do is pull that into our idea of perfection and say that this is part of the whole, that this belongs to, like I was saying earlier, you know, with the tree, right? A tree with a crooked trunk still provides shade. It still provides a home for countless animals and right? it still drops its leaves in the fall and fertilizes the soil underneath right the fact that its trunk is crooked doesn't stop it from being a good tree roses have thorns and they prick us but that doesn't stop the rose from being beautiful and similarly whatever struggles we have don't stop us from being buddhas they don't stop us from being good people they're just again a part of the whole. And so when it comes to working with our issues or the issues of other people, it's us saying, okay, I'm perfect, but this is something I need to work on as well. And both of those things are true at the same time, right? So we can see the things that we need to work on and see our goodness and accept it as a whole person who the whole is perfect, even if the individual parts are not. So as you were talking, I wrote down, like, because I love affirmation statements and using those, I am whole, I am perfect just as I am, and I am working on X or fill in the blank. And, you know, that word and that you use a lot, 
I think before 2020, I used to use the word, but this, but this, but this, but I've been working. um, I took a class in 2020 to just kind of learn about my privilege and learn about race more with uh, my teacher Wheeze. And she always uses the word and this and this. And I think that if we phrase an affirmation statement this way, with the word and what I've really learned is that that word and is so inclusive of the wholeness of all of our parts, right? So I am whole, I am perfect just as I am, and I am working on fill in the blank. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, going back to the garden, the garden is perfect and it has some weeds I have to pull. Both are true at the same time. There's so much beauty when you talk and there's just so much, I feel like, and I hope the audience has come to this too, just peace within your heart when you listen, uh, when I listen to you, because you get this sense of just accepting accepting what is not in a way that we're not taking action, not in a way that we're bypassing, but in a way of like, okay, here's where we're at. And we're still working towards this, but we're whole here. There's peace here. There's love here. There's healing here. Gosh, you have just brought so much joy and radiance and peace and bliss into my life. I just am so grateful for who you are and the work that you do in this world. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's very kind. So Alex, we've spent the last four weeks together. I'm so excited for everybody. Kind of summarize this because I feel like this could be somebody's catapult in 2021 of like, here it is, these four episodes, this great series. Here are the the main juicy points from each one incorporated into this year. Sure. So week one, we talked about developing a holistic understanding of suffering. And the focus there was really accepting that suffering is a part of life. It's not a sign that we've done anything wrong or that we're undeserving. It's just something that we experience. And it's not separate from the joy we experience in life. It's just a part of that joy, right? So we can't have a beautiful, sunshiny day without it being a little too hot. We can't have children that we love and care for without having them throw a tantrum every now and then. And if we develop that holistic understanding of suffering, that it's not a punishment, it's simply a part of our experience, then it becomes easier to cope with and to deal with. Uh, Week two, we talked about identifying the true sources of our suffering. And the focus there is on developing right view and right intention where we break out of the mind of desire and we see our lives more clearly. And then as we see our lives more clearly, we make different decisions which reduce suffering for ourselves and for other people. Uh, This could include renouncing certain behaviors completely if they don't serve us. And if we can't practice renunciation, then creating boundaries on what we do and how we do it 
in order to ensure again that we reduce suffering for ourselves and others. Week three was transforming our pain into healing and love. And this had to do a lot with, again, right view and just simply changing how we view life as a whole. Understanding that some parts of it are difficult, but if we simply change our place in the garden of life, change the way we view the situation, then things can become uh, more wholesome and more pleasant. Which isn't to say that the pain isn't there or that it doesn't exist, but that we can also find moments of joy even in the midst of the pain and the suffering. So we might have a car ride to work that's not so great, but we listen to our favorite song. We might have a job we don't enjoy wholeheartedly, but it allows us to care for our family and loved ones. So when we transform our pain into healing and love, we learn to work with it in a way that allows us to both see that it's there, but then also doesn't allow it to consume us as well. And then finally, week four, we discuss techniques for staying grounded in love and forgiveness. And here we discuss the Ninbutsu chant, Namu Amida Butsu, I take refuge in Amida Buddha which is us remembering that we ourselves are Buddhas, that we are enlightened beings, and that if something outside of us is disappointing, we can turn inward to that light that we all carry and take refuge in that. We also talked about the practice of Nikon, where we discuss five things that are good that people did for us, five things that are good that we did for other people, and one thing that we want to try to work on a little bit more the next day. The idea here, similar to Nimbutsu, is we break the cycle of negative thought that we might be experiencing. And in doing that, we again find the joy that exists in the midst of whatever suffering we might have. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. I am so excited for everybody here who got to listen to the show um, the last four weeks. And I'm so excited. Actually, this has really brought a lot of joy. And I feel like it has really fueled a lot of people to be like, yes. 2021. We can do this. We can be working on ourselves. We can be working on our lives with this just more holistic view. I am whole. I am perfect just as I am. And I'm working on fill in the blank. Alex Sensei, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for blessing us with your time. Everyone, if you're listening, if you have the capability to contribute to Sensei, you can hop on over to his website called thesameoldzen.com. That that link is in the show notes. You can also purchase his book, Perfectly Ordinary Buddhist Teachings for Everyday Life, right off of Amazon. It is so filled with these juicy, yummy stories that you just read it. And hopefully as you're listening, you felt this too. You're automatically in this high vibrational frequency and you start to see things from a different perspective and you really realize how you can incorporate Buddhist teachings into your everyday life, just like his slogan reads, Buddhist teachings for everyday life. 
Thank you again, Sensei. Uh, I am so excited. Um, thank you for just your willingness to be here. And um, I hope we get to keep in touch. Sure, absolutely. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed this time. It was great.